I love the words to that song. I love songs that focus on Jesus. I mean, I, I do like to sing about what He's done for me and how He makes me feel and all that good stuff, but I really enjoy just focusing on God and extolling to the church corporate who God is, what His character is. Amen. Praise God. I know the uh, the uh, invitation for next week is short notice. It is the 4th of July. Uh, a lot of you will, may already have plans. We get that. Uh, so don't feel bad if you've already made plans. Don't, don't change anything. Go enjoy wherever you are going to go and whatever you are going to do. But if you don't have plans, we would love for you guys to come out and spend, spend the day with us. Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 19. Verses 41 through 44. Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44 says this. And when he, referring to Jesus, was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side. And shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. We're going to preach for a few minutes this morning on this topic, the day of visitation. The day of visitation. And if we can pray one more time and ask God to bless the remainder of his service, that his perfect will be manifest in our service here today. Amen. Lord Jesus, we call out to you one more time that you would bless your service, that you would facilitate your perfect will, that it would all be accomplished here in our midst, in each heart, each family, this church body that you administer to the saints of God according to your perfect will and according to our desperate need. Help us, Lord Jesus, to respond to your presence, to respond to your voice with our humble, obedient faith. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let your great name be magnified in our midst here today. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Scripture speaks of two types of divine visitation mankind might experience. The day of Christ's visitation is a blessed, wonderful event for those who are His covenant people. It's God's desire and His perfect will to visit continually with His people, to bless them, to have fellowship with them, to magnify them in His service and in His kingdom, to be a father unto them to provide for them, to comfort them. In Luke 19, we read of the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. This is to be his moment, where the people recognize at last that Jesus is indeed their Lord in Christ. He comes through the cities of Bethany and Bethphage, and here has his disciples secure a donkey for him to ride into Jerusalem on. Now riding, he descends the Mount of Olives, passes over the brook Kidron, and rides into Jerusalem. He enters either through the Golden Gate or the Lion's Gate, 
in any case, he enters Jerusalem into the temple area. Before he enters the city, probably as he was descending the Mount of Olives, the Bible says that he beheld the city. In our scripture text, this is presented as a very sobering event. Jesus beheld the city. He took it in. He observed it. He knew it. This was the city that God had chosen to place his name there. Second Chronicles 6.6 6 says this, But I have chosen Jerusalem, that my name might be there, and have chosen David to be over my people Israel. God's knowledge of the city, its history, everything that had transpired since they came over into the promised land until this present moment was before his eyes. And the Bible says that Jesus wept over the city. Because of their lack of knowledge of those things that bring true peace. Because these things were hid on purpose from their eyes. They were willingly ignorant. Because they rejected their God again. If we look at the history of Israel, it's not a good history, spiritually speaking. They started, God brought them from the, from the land of Egypt into the promised land. All the while, they were murmuring and complaining. They were faithless. Every problem they encountered, they wanted to go back to Egypt. Every situation that came up, their answer was, let's turn around and go back. And God endured their faithlessness and their rebellion time and time and time and time again. After that period, into the period of the judges, we read that there was a generation that arose that knew not God. And they served other gods. The gods of those countries around them. God judged them, brought them into captivity. They cried out because of their captivity. Now they're sorry. Now they want God again. It's hard to be too hard on the nation of Israel because in our own lives, that seems to be the case as well. Things are easy, things are good. Now we don't need God all that much anymore. We can do this ourselves now. Until we fall on our face, things start being removed from our lives that we enjoyed so very much. Now we need God again. God, we're sorry. I repent. And thank God for that. I say that a bit tongue-in-cheek, but if that's what it takes, let it happen. I want to be right with God. I want a relationship with Him. So we see this through 400 years of the time of the judges, all the way up to Samuel. Then in the time of Samuel, they wanted a king like the other nations around them. Not because it was God's will, but because they wanted a king like the other nations around them. 
God told Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. He gave them a king. And then after that failed, he gave them another king after his own heart. And although he was disobedient a few times, he was also repentant and humbled himself before the sight of God. And he was promised an eternal legacy that there would not fail one of his descendants to sit on the throne of Israel. But we see the history of Israel after King David. The nation split into two. Israel never did recover their godly heritage. They stayed idolatrous and rebellious their entire existence. Judah had periods of godliness and periods of rebellion and idolatry. God sent prophets to them, to preach to them, to warn them. Turn away from this wickedness so I can bless you again. Jeremiah 2, verses 1 through 2 says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in their ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. He continues with verse 11. Hath the nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out them cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Jeremiah 3, 1 continues. They say, if a man put away his wife, and she go from him, and become another man, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers, yet return again to me, saith the Lord. In other words, you've broken covenant with me. You told me you'd be faithful, but you weren't. With your idolatries, you've played the whore. But even though you've done that, if you return to me, even now, I can restore this. I can make it right again. You'll be my people and I'll be your God and I can bless you again. This is the sad history of Israel. This is the sad history of God's people in all generations. Jesus tells them in our scripture text what will befall them because of these things. Their enemies will come upon them and besiege them. This isn't new. This is what's always happened. This is what God told them in Deuteronomy. The blessings and the cursings. 
And it held true all through history. Their enemies will triumph over them. Their enemies will destroy both them and their city. Jesus concludes this will happen because they failed to understand that God had visited them. This was the day of their visitation, and they didn't know it. Matthew 23, 29-36 says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets, and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous. And say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them ye shall kill and crucify. Some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom he slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. He had visited them so many times in the past, through prophets, through wise men, through dreams, through interpretations. He visited his people and he would warn them time and time and time again, return to me, else a worse thing come upon you. But they would not. When he rode into Jerusalem, this was the visitation, though. God himself had come in the flesh and had visited his people, had lived with them, had ministered to them for three years, working with them. This is where God came to his people in the flesh as their prophesied Messiah. This is where Israel rejected their God for the last time. The culmination of their failures as a nation and their failures as God's people. Where God in judgment revokes the land given to them by promise to Abraham. Let me say this about God. He is the sole arbiter and the final authority in all things. We say that as the people of God, we don't judge people, we inspect fruit. God is not a fruit inspector. He is the righteous judge. And He has the authority and He has every right to judge. He does. Someday he will be the righteous judge. He will sit upon the throne of judgment with the books open and all of us will appear before him. In that day there will be no more mercy. 
there will be no more compassion. The door of the ark will have been closed. The door to salvation will be shut. All those who have entered in, well. Those who have not, then it will be too late. God is a perfect judge. And he will judge perfectly. He will judge righteously. When we speak to people today, they have all kinds of excuses. I had all kinds of excuses. Justifications. Rationalizations. Rationalizations. One word. As to why I can't do this, why I can't do that, why I'm not living up to my potential, etc., etc., etc. When we stand before God in judgment, there will be no rationalizations. There will be no justifications. I will not be able to deceive myself into thinking that I'm okay. I will not be able to talk myself into a better position. Well, it's okay. He's going to overlook that. He's going to... I'm going to be hit smack in the face with the realization that I am wrong. And there's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing I can do about it anymore. Those that have had an opportunity to accept God, to enter into a covenant relationship with Him, they'll be all the worse. With the realization that they could have avoided this but didn't. For whatever reason. It is God's desire to save. It is God's desire to deliver. He wants to so desperately. Even though we've been rebellious. Before we were the people of God. We were a stiff-necked and rebellious people. We hated God. We hated His ways. But God loved us and brought us into a covenant relationship with Him. He did that. We didn't do anything. We said yes. That's all we did. He did all the work. He initiated it. He drew up the covenant. He sealed it with His own blood. He wants to save he wants us to be the covenant people of God. When God visits, He wants to bless. He wants to minister. He wants to deliver, to restore, to provide. He wants to uplift and to encourage and to strengthen and to edify. But there is a second type of divine visitation. The day God will visit the sins of the people upon their own heads. This is a visitation that God does not want. He's never wanted. And He's done everything He can to avoid. Jeremiah 50 and 27 says, Slay all her bullocks. Let them go down to the slaughter. Woe unto them, for their day has come, the time of their visitation. Isaiah 10 and 3 says, And what will you do in the day of visitation? And in the desolation which shall come from afar, 
To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your glory? Jeremiah 23 and 12 says, Wherefore their ways shall be unto them as slippery ways in the way in the darkness. They shall be driven on and fall therein, for I will bring evil upon them, even the year of their visitation, saith the Lord. Isaiah 26 and 14 says, They are dead. They shall not live. They are deceased. They shall not rise. Therefore hast thou visited and destroyed them, and made all of their memory to perish. That is the day of visitation that the sinner has to look forward to. That is the day of visitation that all people out of covenant with God have to look forward to. In that day of judgment, there will be no mercy. Only judgment. Only righteous judgment. And if God hasn't taken care of your sins for you, then they're yours to take care of for all of eternity. That's the way it is. And we can hope for a better future. We can hope that all of this is just some drunken monk's fantasy that he scribbled down in the 14th century. We can hope and pray that somehow this isn't going to come to pass. But just as sure as we're standing here today, I can, I can tell you, matter-of-factly, the day is coming. It's coming. And we have two choices. And only two. There's no third, fourth, or fifth option. Jesus himself said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I don't, I'm sorry if that offends you or if that disturbs your sensibilities, but that's what he said. That's what he said. He's the only way to salvation. Buddha's not, Muhammad is not, Jesus Christ is. We're not going to figure out a better way to heaven. We're not going to figure out an alternative route to salvation. We can let Jesus take care of our sins for us. Or we can kindly say, no thank you, I'll take care of it myself. Some people don't believe in hell because, well, a God of love would never send anybody to a place like that. A God of love is doing everything he can to keep you out. But God's not going to drag you kicking and screaming to somewhere you don't want to go. He won't do it. If you don't want to go to heaven, if you don't want a relationship with him, he's not going to force you to do it. I pray he makes it as hard as, as, hard as, as possible for you to say no to him. And as easy as possible to say yes. But you don't have to say yes. You can say no. But on the day of judgment, you're on your own. Just like you wanted. This day of visitation is coming for all people everywhere. When God visits, when God visits you, 
when God visits me, what will happen then? Luke 1 and 68 says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. Job 10.12 says, Thou hast granted me life and favor, and thy visitation hath preserved my spirit. When God visits me, I want it to be in blessing. I want his day of visitation to be a blessed event. A joyous occasion where I fellowship with the one who saved me. Where I commune with the one who loved me and suffered on a cross and died for me so that I could have a relationship with him. I don't want that day of visitation to be a cursing. Today he is visiting us. He's here right now. This morning God has visited his people. Not in anger, not in judgment, but in love. And in a desire to bless. Not to criticize or condemn but in a desire to draw close to you, to have fellowship with you, to preserve and to redeem his covenant people, to save those that need a Savior, to heal those who need healing, to comfort those who need comforting. Today, Jesus is here. He has visited us. What do you have need of today? The Lord our God is a wondrous God. The love He has toward us is... The Bible describes it as agape. In and of ourselves, it's something we're impossible of doing, impossible of understanding. But the Bible says that's who God is. He is love. And He has done everything He can, short of violating your free will. to make a way whereby you don't have to pay for those sins. Folks, everybody needs a Savior. Everybody. We all need salvation. Jesus Christ is our Savior. He 
He's also our healer, our provider, our comforter, our joy, our peace, our hope, everything we have need of, everything we have need of. His visitation today is a blessed event. Amen. Let's all stand.